the Washington report. The House and Senate will both return today and stay in session through Thursday. Last week in the House, they came back to work on Monday, but they didn't hold any votes until Tuesday. First up was a vote on a rule, which passed. Then the House took up H.R. 7946, the Veterans Service Recognition Act. After considering and agreeing to an amendment, the House voted to pass the amended bill by a vote of 220 to 208. Then the House took up and passed under suspension of the rules a whole bunch of suspension bills that had been postponed from the previous week. Then the House took up and passed another bill under suspension of the rules. Then the House took up and passed under suspension a motion to concur in the Senate amendment to H.R. 3462, the SBA Cyber Awareness Act. Then the House took up and passed four more bills under suspension. And then the House took up under suspension a motion to concur in the Senate amendment to H.R. 5796, the Patents for Humanity Act. On Wednesday, the House took up and passed the rule governing floor consideration of the Senate Amendment to H.R. 8404, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act. On Thursday, the House took up and passed the Senate Amendment to H.R. 8404, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act. The amended bill passed by a vote of 258 to 169, with 39 Republicans crossing party lines to vote with the Democrats. That's eight fewer than the 47 Republicans who crossed party lines to vote for the bill earlier in the year before the Senate amended it. Then the House took up under suspension of the rules a motion to agree to the Senate amendment to H.R. 7776, the legislative vehicle for this year's National Defense Authorization Act. It passed by a vote of 350 to 80. Then the House took up and passed one more bill under suspension of the rules, and then they were done. This week, they'll return today with the first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to take up no fewer than 32 bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday and for the balance of the week, the House is scheduled to take up seven more bills under suspension and will consider the following legislation separately. H.R. 3648, the EGLE Act of 2022. S-3905, Preventing Organizational Conflicts of Interest in Federal Acquisition Act. S-4003, the Law Enforcement De-Escalation Training Act of 2022. In addition, the House possibly will consider H.R. 1948, the VA Employee Fairness Act of 2021. And if they ever get around to striking a deal on funding, there may be a vote on a government funding bill, either a year-long omnibus or a year-long continuing resolution. Last week in the Senate, the Senate returned on Monday and voted to confirm Doris L. Pryor to be U.S. Circuit Judge for the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nominations of Francis Key Beam to be U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of Michigan and Kelly Brisbane Hedge to be U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. Then by voice vote, the Senate confirmed Juan Eduardo Sanchez to be federal co-chairperson of the Southwest Border Regional Commission seven new U.S. attorneys, and four new U.S. marshals. On Wednesday, the Senate voted to confirm Mia Roberts-Perez to be U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nomination of Cal, I'm sorry, Kai and Scott to be U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. Then the Senate voted to confirm Frank Murphy to be U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Jeffrey Paul Hopkins to be U.S. District Judge for the Southern District of Ohio. And then the Senate voted to confirm Jerry W. Blackwell to be U.S. District Judge for the District of Minnesota. 
On Thursday, the Senate voted to confirm Jeffrey Paul Hopkins to be U.S. District Judge for the Southern District of Ohio. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Tamika R. Montgomery Reeves to be U.S. Circuit Judge for the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Dana M. Douglas to be U.S. Circuit Judge for the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And then by voice vote, the Senate confirmed Shallon P. Bott to be Administrator of the Federal Highway Administration. And then they were done. This week in the Senate, they'll return today. The first vote teed up for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate will proceed to a roll call vote on the confirmation of Tamika R. Montgomery Reeves to be U.S. Circuit Judge for the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. Then, based on the Majority Leader's cloture filings, I anticipate we'll see votes on the confirmation of J. Curtis Shambaugh to be Undersecretary of the Treasury and Kathy Ann Harris to be Chairman of the Merit Systems Protection Board. And I imagine that at some point, the Senate will take up the National Defense Authorization Act that just passed the House. Now, let's talk about that NDAA. One of the few bright spots for conservatives in recent months is the victory we won last week on the National Defense Authorization Act, a bill that has passed every year for 61 years. The bill that passed the House contains a provision ending President Biden's coronavirus vaccine mandate, despite the White House and the Secretary of Defense saying publicly that they oppose that provision. That is, they want to keep that vaccine mandate in place. The House Democrat leadership had planned to bring the bill to the floor Wednesday, but they ran into a snag. Members of the Congressional Black Caucus decided to try to force the Democrat leadership to, ex to accept a maneuver to tie H.R. 4, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, that is one of the Democrats' attempts to federalize all elections, to the bill. They wanted a rule that twinned the bills together. The Democrat leadership recognized that this was a non-starter. It would cost all Republican votes, which were needed to pass the NDAA. So instead, the Democrat leadership rejected the CBC attempt to hijack the bill and put it on the floor Thursday under suspension of the rules, that is, without a rule. It got 350 votes, far more than the 290 votes needed to pass under suspension of the rules, and has now gone to the Senate. Now, illegal immigration. There are still, if you count them, 22 calendar days left in the 117th Congress, not nearly as many legislative days. But the problem is this. There are five Republican senators who are retiring and will never face their constituents again, which gives them a certain freedom to behave in a way in which they otherwise might not behave, which is another way of saying hold on to something tight because there's a very real possibility an amnesty deal could come together as members of Congress are getting ready to leave town for Christmas. This last-minute push for an amnesty deal is the product of Arizona Democrat Senator Kirsten Sinema, hold that thought, and North Carolina Republican Senator Tom Tillis. On Friday, they released a background document outlining the key provisions of their proposal. Essentially, it calls for the creation of a pathway to citizenship for, quote, approximately 2 million qualified individuals, unquote, in exchange for, well, there's nothing about $25 billion for border security in this document, despite claims earlier in the week that $25 billion was the number being bandied about. And to put that in context, if you remember the 2013 Gang of Eight Amnesty Bill, that bill had about $50 billion in border security. Well, we've had a lot of inflation since then, and yet $50 billion has not increased. It has rather been cut in half compared to the 2013 bill. This proposal has not yet been turned into legislative language.
there is no bill to look at. It's still in the planning stages. And the plan, if they can find 10 Republican senators willing to move this legislation forward, is to attach it to the government spending bill, whether it's an omnibus or a CR, because they don't care what train it takes a ride on. They just want to get it on board a train that is going to leave the station. It goes without saying that this proposal is being pushed right now because Republicans are going to take over the House in 22 days. At that point, any hope of an amnesty bill passing the House of Representatives will be lost. So as Democrats see it, now is the time to strike while they are still in charge of both House and Senate. Now to government funding, everybody's favorite topic at the end of the year. The government is funded through December 16th. That's midnight Friday night. We've got five days until the current continuing resolution expired. And as of now, we still don't have an agreement on a full-year government funding bill. So the Democrats, who still maintain control over both houses of Congress, for another three weeks, planned simply to drop their own full-year government funding bill in the hopper to see who salutes. At least that was the plan until last night, when they changed their minds, claiming sufficient progress had been made to convince them that they should keep at it for another day or two. The Office of Senate Appropriations Committee Chairman Pat Leahy, Democrat of Vermont, put out a statement, quote, Chairman Leahy feels that sufficient progress in negotiations took place over the weekend to delay the introduction of the omnibus appropriations for the time being. Bipartisan and bicameral negotiations continue, end quote. Beyond that, Democrats canceled a readout of the omnibus bill. That's inside baseball talk. That's where the staffers on the Appropriations Committee, Democrats and Republicans alike, sit down around a large table and go through the entire package. Given as how this is a roughly $1.7 trillion spending bill that's likely to be a few thousand pages long, that's a rather arduous task. Canceling that event is seen as a sign of progress. On the other hand, the two sides still have not agreed on a top-line number for non-defense discretionary spending, and without that, they're stuck. We talked about this last week. The two sides have come to agreement over the defense side of the funding equation. This year's National Defense Authorization Act, which passed the House last week, authorizes $858 billion for defense spending in fiscal year 2023, and that amount is reflected in the half-done government spending agreement that's still under discussion. The two sides are still about $26 billion apart on the non-defense discretionary budget, and neither side is budging. Republicans insist that defense spending needs a boost, and Democrats agree. That's how they settled on the defense side of the equation so quickly. The problem is on the non-defense side of the equation. Republicans say Democrats have spent trillions of dollars on domestic discretionary spending over the last two years using totally, parted, totally partisan one-sided reconciliation bills to appropriate trillions of dollars to go to non-defense liberal spending priorities. And therefore, we should simply plus up defense spending and keep non-defense spending lower in the government funding bill. Democrats counter that the additional trillions of dollars that were spent over the last two years weren't spent on liberal funding priorities. They were spent as the result of a once-in-a-lifetime disease that killed a million Americans and crushed our economy, and therefore that shouldn't count. Both sides have dug in their heels, and that's a problem for Democrats because they're in charge, but they're not in control. Because this is a regular government spending bill we're talking about, it cannot be brought to the floor under the rules for reconciliation, which means it will be subject to filibuster in the Senate. 
That means it will need at least 10 Republicans to be willing to invoke cloture on the motion to proceed and then again on the motion itself. And that's just not going to happen on a full year omnibus that spends as much money on non-defense discretionary spending programs as it does on defense. That is, if you believe Republicans will actually follow through on their language. So I expect that at some point, either today or tomorrow, we're going to learn that the Democrat leadership in both houses has decided to move a one-week continuing resolution to extend their deadline right up to Friday, December 23rd, buying them one more week to negotiate a full-year omnibus spending package. Their hope will be that the smell of jet fumes in the air will spur concessions from all sides. If they can't finalize a deal on a full-year omnibus, they could go with a full-year continuing resolution. Of course, that would mean they'd be limited to spending next year's money at this year's rates. With 8% inflation, that's the equivalent of an 8% spending cut for next year. Democrats really don't want to do that, and neither do Republicans when it comes to defense spending. So don't be surprised if what we end up with is a full-year continuing resolution with what are called anomalies, individual plus-ups for individual line items. Defense spending could be increased because they've already got that side agreed to if the Republicans hold firm. And maybe they throw in a bunch of earmarks to lure Republicans who've decided they like earmarks again. Not all Republicans like earmarks again, but some apparently do. Whatever it takes to get to 60 votes in the Senate. But remember, these are Senate Republicans, and history tells us never to trust them to hold firm when something important regarding federal spending is on the line. This is the team that never muffs a chance to muff a chance. Stay tuned. Now, back to that hold that thought about Kirsten Cinema, Arizona Democrat. On Friday morning, then Arizona Democrat Kirsten Cinema declared that she was leaving the Democrat Party and re-registering in Arizona as an independent. She said she expected she would maintain her committee assignments, including chairmanships of two different subcommittees, but she would no longer attend Senate Democrat caucus meetings. Some Democrat senators were heard to remark, did she ever attend our caucus meetings? This move is far less about maneuvering in the Senate in Washington, though, and far more about setting herself up for re-election in 2024 in Arizona. She has spent the last two years under pressure back home from hard-left progressive activists, the kind of activists who chase their targets into the ladies' room. It was widely expected that she would face a difficult primary challenge from incumbent Congressman Ruben Gallego, who represents Arizona's 7th Congressional District. By registering as an independent, Cinema avoids a primary she might have lost and goes straight to the general election. And she puts Arizona Democrats in a bind. If they nominate a candidate against her, it's quite likely that the Democrat nominee and Cinema would split the vote on the left, making possible the election of a Republican candidate. In Arizona, there is no majority for victory requirement and no runoff. It's simply a question of who gets the most votes in the election, even if it's not a majority. So this move really puts Arizona Democrats in a bind. The latest on election results, sticking with Arizona, on Friday, Arizona Republican gubernatorial nominee Kari Lake filed a lawsuit challenging the certification of the results of the November election. 
The lawsuit claims that Maricopa County created what Lake's lawyers call a debacle that led to her defeat. Quote, if the process was illegitimate, then so are the results. Stay tuned, folks, she shared with her Twitter followers on Friday evening. Lake believes the court should declare her the winner of the election. And if the courts won't do that, she wants a court to order Maricopa County to redo the election. Lake was not the only Arizona Republican to file a challenge to the election results. Secretary of State candidate Mark Fincham and U.S. House candidate Jeff Zink also contested their losses. Now to the only remaining Republican leadership contest. In 22 days, we will find out if Kevin McCarthy has the votes necessary to be elected Speaker of the House of Representatives. As of right now, there are four Republicans who have announced their opposition to his election. Andy Biggs, Matt Gates, Bob Good, and Matt Rosendale. Seven other Republicans, five who are currently members of the House and will be members in the next Congress, and two who will be members in the next Congress, sent a letter to McCarthy last week outlining their demands. Signers include House Freedom Caucus Chairman Scott Perry, Chip Roy, Dan Bishop, Andrew Clyde, and Paul Gosar. First on the list of demands was a return to the motion to vacate the chair as it existed in Thomas Jefferson's Rules Manual, which was in effect in the House from 1801 to 2018. Quote, in addition, reads the letter, Republicans must replace what Nancy Pelosi struck from the rules of the 115th Congress, that is the original motion to vacate the chair. House Republicans had already considered this change in their internal conference meetings over the last several weeks and had rejected it. But it's the rules change that refuses to go away because the conservatives simply won't accept McCarthy's decision not to reinstate the original motion that would allow any single member of the House to challenge the Speaker on an up or down vote. The conservatives also want the House Republican leadership to agree to stay out of primaries. They want their own on, they want more of their own on the powerful House Rules Committee. They are serious about using the debt limit vote next year to get substantial spending reforms. Quote, we must commit to not raising the debt ceiling, they write, without a concrete plan to cap spending and operate under a budget that balances in 10 years or less and hold on to it, end quote. That's our Washington report for this week.